Section 20 of the Works of Guy de Maupassant, Volume 3, by Guy de Maupassant. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Recording by James K. White, Chula Vista. Countess Satan. 1. They were discussing dynamite, the social revolution, nihilism, and even those who cared least about politics had something to say. Some were alarmed, others philosophized, while others again tried to smile. Bah, N said, when we are all blown up, we shall see what it is like. Perhaps, after all, it may be an amusing situation, provided one goes high enough. But we shall not be blown up at all, G the optimist said, interrupting him. It is all a romance. You are mistaken, my dear fellow, Jules de C. replied. It is like a romance, but with that confounded nihilism, everything seems like one. But it would be a mistake to trust it. Thus, I myself, the manner in which I made Bakunin's acquaintance, they knew that he was a good narrator, and it was no secret that his life had been an adventurous one. So they drew closer to him and listened religiously. This is what he told them. 2. I met Countess Nioska W., that strange woman who was usually called Countess Satan, in Naples. I immediately attached myself to her out of curiosity, and I soon fell in love with her. Not that she was beautiful, for she was a Russian who had all the bad characteristics of the Russian type. She was thin and squat at the same time, while her face was sallow and puffy, with high cheekbones and a Cossack's nose. But her conversation bewitched everyone. She was many-sided, learned, a philosopher, scientifically depraved, satanic. Perhaps the word is rather pretentious, but it exactly expresses what I want to say. For in other words, she loved evil for the sake of evil. She rejoiced in other people's vices and liked to sow the seeds of evil in order to see it flourish, and that on a fraud on an enormous scale. It was not enough for her to corrupt individuals. She only did that to keep her hand in. What she wished to do was to corrupt the masses. By slightly altering it after her own fashion, she might have adopted the famous saying of Caligula. She also wished that the whole human race had but one head, but not in order that she might cut it off, but that she might make the philosophy of nihility flourish there. What a temptation to become the lord and master of such a monster! And I allowed myself to be tempted, and undertook the adventure. The means came unsought for by me, and the only thing that I had to do was to show myself more perverted and satanical than she was herself. And so I played the devil. Yes, I said, we writers are the best workmen for doing evil, as our books may be bottles of poison. The so-called men of action only turn the handle of the mitrailleuse which we have loaded. Formulas will destroy the world, and it is we who invent them. That is true, she said, and that is what is wanting in Bakunin, I am sorry to say. That name was constantly in her mouth and so I asked her for details which she gave me, as she knew the man intimately. 
After all, she said, with a contemptuous grimace, he is only a kind of Garibaldi. She told me, although she made fun of him as she did so, about his odyssey of the barricades and of the hulks which made up Bakunin's legend, and which is, nevertheless, only the exact truth, his part of chief of the insurgents at Prague and then at Dresden, his first death sentence, about his imprisonment at Olmutz and in the casemates of the fortress of St. Peter and St. Paul, in a subterranean dungeon at Schusselburg, about his exile to Siberia and his wonderful escape down the river Amur on a Japanese coasting vessel by way of Yokohama and San Francisco, and about his final arrival in London whence he was directing all the operations of nihilism. You see, she said, he is a thorough adventurer, and now all his adventures are over. He got married at Tobolsk and became a mere respectable middle-class man. And then he has no individual ideas. Herzen, the pamphleteer of Kolokol, inspired him with the only fertile phrase that he ever uttered, land and liberty. But that is not yet the definite formula, the general formula, what I will call the dynamite formula. At best, Bakunin would become an incendiary and burn down cities. And what is that, I ask you? Bah! a second-hand Rostopchin. He wants a prompter, and I offered to become his, but he did not take me seriously. It would be useless to enter into all the psychological details which mark the course of my passion for the Countess, and to explain to you more fully the attraction of curiosity which she offered me more and more every day. It was getting exasperating, and the more so as she resisted me as stoutly as the shyest of innocence could have done. But at the end of a month of mad Satanism, I saw what her game was. Do you know what she had thought of? She meant to make me Bakunin's prompter, or at any rate that is what she said. But no doubt she reserved the right to herself, and that is how I understood her, to prompt the prompter, and my passion for her, which she purposely left unsatisfied, assured her that absolute power over me. All this may appear madness to you, but it is, nevertheless, the exact truth, and in short, one morning, she bluntly made the offer. Become Bakunin's soul, and you shall have me. Of course I accepted, for it was too fantastically strange to refuse. Do you think so? What an adventure! What luck! A number of letters between the Countess and Bakunin prepared the way. I was introduced to him at his house, and they discussed me there. I became a sort of Western prophet, a mystic charmer who was ready to annihilate the Latin races, the St. Paul of the new religion of nothingness. And at last a day was fixed for us to meet in London. He lived in a small, one-storied house in Pimlico, with a tiny garden in front, and nothing noticeable about it. We were first of all shown into the commonplace parlor of all English homes, and then upstairs. The room where the Countess and I were left was small and very badly furnished, with a square table with writing materials on it in the middle. That was his sanctuary. The deity soon appeared and I saw him in flesh and bone, especially in flesh, for he was enormously stout, 
his broad face with prominent cheekbones in spite of the fat, and with a nose like a double funnel, with small sharp eyes which had a magnetic look, proclaimed the Tartar, the old Turanian blood, which produced the Attilas, the Genghis Khans, the Tamerlanes. The obesity, which is characteristic of the nomad races, who are always on horseback or driving, added to his Asiatic look. The man was certainly not a European, a slave, a descendant of the deistic Aryans, but a descendant of the atheistic hordes who had several times already almost overrun Europe, and who, instead of any ideas of progress, have the belief in nihility at the bottom of their hearts. I was astonished, for I had not expected that the majesty of a whole race could be thus revived in a man and my stupefaction increased after an hour's conversation. I could quite understand why such a colossus had not wished for the countess as his Egeria. She was a mere silly child to have dreamt of acting such a part to such a thinker. She had not felt the profoundness of that horrible philosophy which was hidden under that material activity, nor had she seen the prophet under that man of the barricades. Or, perhaps, he had not thought it advisable to reveal himself to her like that. But he revealed himself to me, and inspired me with terror. A prophet? Oh, yes. He thought himself an Attila, and foresaw the consequences of his revolution. It was not only from instinct, but also from theory, that he urged a nation on to nihilism. The phrase is not his, but Turgenev's, I believe but the idea certainly belongs to him. He got his program of agricultural communism from Herzen, and his destructive radicalism from Pugachev, but he did not stop there. I mean that he went on to evil for the sake of evil. Herzen wished for the happiness of the Slav peasant. Pugachev wanted to be elected emperor, but all that Bakunin wanted was to overthrow the actual order of things, no matter by what means and to replace social concentration by a universal upheaval. It was the dream of a Tartar. It was true nihilism pushed to extreme practical conclusions. It was, in a word, the applied philosophy of chance, the indeterminatism of anarchy. Monstrous it may be, but grand in its monstrosity. And you must note that the man of action who was so despised by the countess discovered in Bakunin the gigantic dreamer whom I have just shown you. And his dream did not remain a dream, but began to be realized. It was by the care of that organizer that the nihilistic party assumed a body, a party in which there is a little of everything, you know, but on the whole a formidable party on account of the advanced guard in true nihilism, whose object is nothing less than to destroy the Western world, to see it blossom from under the ruins of a general dispersion, which is the last conception of modern Tartarism. I never saw Bakunin again, for the Countess's conquest would have been too dearly bought by any attempt to act a comedy with this old man of the mountains. And besides that, after this visit, poor Countess Satan appeared to me quite silly. Her famous Satanism was nothing but the flicker of a spirit lamp after the general conflagration of which the other had dreamt, and she had certainly shown herself very silly when she could not understand that prodigious monster. 
and as she had seduced me only by her intellect and her perversity i was disgusted as soon as she laid aside that mask i left her without telling her of my intention and never saw her again either no doubt they both took me for a spy from the third section of the imperial chancellery in that case they must have thought me very strong to have resisted and all i have to do is to look out if any affiliated members of their society recognize me three then he smiled and turning to the waiter who had just come in he said meanwhile open us another bottle of champagne and make the cork pop it will at any rate somewhat accustom us to the day when we shall all be blown up with dynamite ourselves end of section twenty recording by james k white chula vista